This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our first reading today is from the book of Amos. Seek the Lord and live, or he will break out against the house of Joseph like fire, and it will devour Bethel with no one to quench it. Ah, you that turn justice to wormwood and bring righteousness to the ground. They hate the one who reproves in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from them levies of grain, You have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and push aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, the prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Holy wisdom, holy word. Our second lesson is from the book of Hebrews. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Holy Wisdom, Holy Word. The Gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you have and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure 
in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. Our second reading assures us that the Word of God, or maybe more properly, the Word is warns us, that the Word of God is active, prowling through the halls of this place, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we, like children, will pick it up, will play with it, and will get cut. It seems like every time the Word of God is proclaimed, there is blood on the ground. Jesus is getting ready to go on vacation and as always happens, when you're just going out the door, there's that one more email. There's that one more phone call. This guy comes running up to him and says, what must I do to have eternal life? Now, you can't blame Jesus if he might have been a little bit suspicious of this guy because, after all, it seems like every time he gets asked a question, it's someone who's either questioning his credentials, trying to back him into a corner, trying to trip him up over his own words. But Jesus senses an earnestness in this guy. So with a sigh, he puts down his bags and goes, all right, you're serious. This is what you need to do to inherit eternal life. Be good to your mother and father. Don't kill. Don't lie. And he starts 
running off the Ten Commandments. To which the guy interrupts him halfway through and says, I've done that. I've done that since my youth. Apparently, this is a good guy. Even as a baby, he was thinking holy thoughts. I shouldn't make fun of him. He is a good guy. He's earnest about this. He is trying to do the right things. And he wants the right things. But the very fact that he is here now asking this question of Jesus would seem to point to the fact that even he suspects that there's something more to this than what he has done already. That there is something yet unfinished. So Jesus, who we are told loves him, says, all right, there's one more thing. Actually, the words he uses is, you lack one thing, which is kind of ironic given the fact that the one thing we know about this person is that he had many things. But the one thing he lacked was to sell everything he owned, give the money to the poor, and follow. And the words hang in the air as this man, looking up with expectancy on his face, waits for Jesus to go on, to explain what he means, to suggest that maybe he's exaggerating just a little bit, or maybe he's telling one of those great parables. But Jesus doesn't go on. And as the silence grows longer, the color drains from the guy's face until finally, dispirited and embarrassed, he goes away. Ten percent. Isn't that what the Bible normally lifts up as a good goal for giving? Ten percent for the kingdom of God? I'll bet if Jesus had said to this guy, tithe, he would have said, I've done it from my youth. A tenth of my baby food I gave to the needy. But instead, here they were, almost at an agreement, almost there. Jesus loved him, he loved Jesus. And then Jesus pushes it to an extreme, an outrageous, unattainable extreme. Sell everything and give it away. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, man, it is hard for those with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And when they look at him with those same blood-drained faces, he says it again. How hard it is for those with possessions to enter the kingdom of God. It'd be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. 
Now, I've heard a number of well-intentioned sermons trying to bring a little bit of hope at this point, suggesting that what Jesus meant by this was perhaps this gate into Jerusalem that was known as the Camel's Gate that required people to get down low in order to go in, thereby expressing their humility. Or suggesting that the word translated as camel might better be translated as rope. It's easier to get a rope through the eye of a needle. But I don't think it works. And I ain't buying it. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for those with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Because apparently it was just as outrageous to his disciples as it is to us now because they ask each other, well then who can be saved? And in so saying express the same question that doubtless we must have in hearing this text. Well then, how can we be saved? And we wait. We wait to hear the answer. This stuff, these things, we gather them around us and we convince ourselves that we need them. Well, okay, sometimes we just want them. And believe me, I feel acutely aware of my own hypocrisy in preaching on this when I cannot get my car in the garage because there is so much stuff crammed in there. But this text suggests that maybe there is something just a little bit more important. Something just a little bit more life-giving. And I'm here to proclaim at least this much good news to you, which is that you are already on your way to getting through that needle. When you were baptized, Christ reached through the eye of that needle, grabbed you by your ugly old camel ears, and started pulling you through. And now here we are with our eyes bulging out halfway through that needle with the Holy Spirit pushing like the devil behind, reassuring us that it's just a matter of time. Reassuring us who are all so aware of our camel lumpiness as we go through this process. Who wonder if we can possibly survive such a journey. Baptism is a wonderful thing. We bring a child, usually a child, to the font We pour water over their head. 
We laugh when they start to cry. The parents beam appreciatively. Another baby is washed in the blood of the lamb. We celebrate and move on. Wait a minute, what did we say? Washed in the blood? How did blood get in on this? We talk about Noah bobbing along happily in the ark over the surface of the flood and forget to look at all those bodies floating in the water below. We forget that there is death in that font and that when we baptize a baby there, we drown that child so that they might emerge a new being to new life. The rich man walks away dejected today because he can't figure out how to give up all of his possessions, but it's all right because sooner or later he will. Sooner or later, he will come to that narrow, narrow portal of the grave. He will come to that needle's eye that is broad enough only for his self to pass through. And in that passage, everything else will be stripped away. It doesn't matter to the Holy Spirit back there pushing it doesn't matter to Christ up front pulling. They have all the time in the world to get him through that needle, to get us through that needle. The ones who don't have time are those others who need what we have, are those who are hungry, those who are homeless those who are despairing, those who feel alone, those who are dying for want of what we can provide. Our only real choice is whether we are going to die now or later. Which I suppose brings us back to the question that he first asked. Lord, how can I have eternal life well, you can have it the same way all of us can have it, by dying, by doing something as hard and as easy as dying, as hard because dying is never fun. Dying means giving up what we have, and we will die. It's also easy. So far, we have a 100% death rate, with one exception. We all do dying pretty well. But if we allow ourselves to die in this baptismal water now, if we allow the Lord to draw us screaming and kicking through the eye of that needle, then we will start to discover eternal life, not in some far off time, but here. And now, we will start to discover what it is like to live in true community. We will start to discover what it is to have real purpose and meaning in our lives. 
we will start to discover the joy that comes in being what God has created us to be. It isn't fun going through that needle. In the end, we end up shorn of everything we have, but we end up in awfully good company with all those saints who have passed through ahead of us, there gathered around the throne of God in this new Jerusalem that can only be described by those who write about it as a place of outlandish abundance where we do indeed receive all these things back and more or at least we receive life back and more. Life eternal. Life in the kingdom. Amen.